Father, we do pray for the teaching ministry of your Holy Spirit. We ask, O Lord, that you would really enable us to understand what's on your heart today, what it is you want to do in each of our lives. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there was this guy. He was actually a pastor up in Vermont, but he was transferring down to be a pastor in South Texas. He'd never been in Texas. He'd never been in South Texas before. So it was his first Sunday, and he's preaching at the church, and the church was so excited to have him, and they said, you know, we have a special picnic at, right after the church services, and we want you to be there as our, you know, special guest. And of course, he had to go, and he went to this picnic, and they went down by the river, and uh, as, they're, as they're having, they're gathering around the river, a couple, some of the younger guys came up to the pastor and said, hey, we're bungee jumping off the bridge, and we want you to bungee jump with us. And the pastor thought, well, I probably ought to do it you know, so the church will like me. So anyway, so he, he goes up to the top of the bridge, and they hook him all up over his ankles for the bungee cords. And uh, he, he looked down below, and, you know, of course, you know, there's a, a large gathering having a, a party down at the riverbanks. But he thinks, you know, it'd probably be fine. So he says, you got to jump. And so he just jumps. And he, as he goes down, as he reaches the bottom, the men up by the bridge hear him screaming. They not only hear him screaming, they hear all these kids laughing down below. And then he comes springing back up, and as he comes up, he says, help me. And they grab, try to grab him, but they can't grab him. He goes back down again. He gets down to the bottom again, and he's screaming. And again, they hear these kids laughing and playing down there. And he comes, springs, springs back up and goes, help me. And they try to grab him. They miss him again. Finally goes down, same thing, screams, comes back up. This time they grab him. And they say, why are you screaming every time you get to the bottom with a bungee cord, he says, because I just have one question to ask you. What is a pinata? <laughs> well, he figured out how things work in Texas. And so, you know, when you figure out how things work, it's amazing how much better things work for you. Especially in relationships. You figure out how things work in relationships. It really makes a big difference in how things work for you. And we figure out how things work in our relationship with God. It's amazing how much better things work for us. And that's what I want us to focus on some this morning as we continue our series on <clears throat> hearing the voice of God. Because people are meant, we are meant to live in an ongoing, not just relationship, but conversation with God. Speaking to him and him speaking to us. Again, think about this. If we're important enough for God to give his own son to come and die for us, and if we're important enough for him to want to come and dwell and live in us, then certainly we're important enough for him to guide us and to speak to us whenever it is appropriate. Now, how does that work? How does, this, how does hearing the voice of God work. Now, right now, in this room, there are all kinds of sounds coming through. Just be quiet for a second. There's all kinds of songs that are passing through this room right now. Songs are being sung through this room. And you're saying, what are you talking about? Well, <clears throat> right now, there is all kinds of different...
Now, did you know that that song was passing through this room? Not only that song, but thousands of songs right now are passing through this room, but you have to have the right device and you have to be tuned in. Now, if you have the right device and you're tuned in, you can hear some of the sounds that are passing through this room right now. Thousands and thousands of sounds and voices are passing through this room that we're sitting in right now. But right now we're not hearing them. Because you have to have the right device and you have to be tuned in. Well, the truth is that God has made us to be devices that can hear his voice. We've been made in the image of God. And it's been God's intent since the very beginning when he made Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and he would go and spend time with them. It's been his desire from the beginning to communicate, to talk with the people that he has made to have a relationship with him. And so... What is the problem then? If we have been made as devices that can speak to God, what is the issue? Why is it so many are not hearing his voice? Even so many professing Christians do not hear his voice. What is the problem? The problem is even though we are devices made to hear the voice of God, we have to be tuned in. So how do we do that? How do we tune in to the voice of God? You know, John Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church, said in 1750, and I quote, The extraordinary gifts of the Holy Spirit were no longer to be found in the Christian church because the Christians were turned heathen again and had only a dead form left. Orthodoxy remained, but with diminished expectations. Unbelief reigned. The church had accommodated itself to secularism and the power was gone. Unquote. See, the truth is that God does still speak today, but so many are missing it because of their spiritual condition. Here's what Job says in chapter 33, verse 14. Indeed, God speaks once, or twice, yet no one notices it. See, God is still speaking, but so many are able to notice his voice. And the reason they don't notice his voice is because of their spiritual condition. So how can we be those who notice when God speaks? How can we be those who hear his voice? How can we be those Devices that are tuned in to God. How can we reverse the spiritual condition that leaves so many deaf to the voice of God? Well, first of all, number one thing that we must all make sure that we do if we need to do it, number one is repent from spiritual lukewarmness and fully Seek the Lord. Number one, repent from any, any spiritual lukewarmness and fully seek the Lord. 
I want us to read about what was happening at one point in history with the people of God and how their spiritual condition actually hindered them from being able to receive communication from God. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now the boy Samuel, who would later become the prophet Samuel, you have the first in Samuel books of the Bible in your Old Testament. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli. Listen to this now. And word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. See, apostasy and prophetic inactivity go together. So backsliders, that's what apostasy is all about, falling away, falling away from the Lord, backsliding. So backsliders really shouldn't expect to hear from God. And some of you, perhaps in this room, some of you online, haven't been hearing from the Lord for this reason. Uh, because you've been backslidden. And today would be a great day to, if that's you, or if you have any of that in your heart and life, to repent and to fully begin to seek the Lord again. Now, I want to contrast being backslidden with being frontslidden. With someone who's frontslidden, his name, I'm going to pick an example here. The name I want to pick is Cornelius in his household in Acts chapter 10. It's a great example of someone who is front sliding full force. Acts chapter 10 verse 1, now there was a certain man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. So you have a Gentile Roman. A devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people. And prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come into him and said to him, Cornelius. And fixing his gaze upon him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? He said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a certain tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who was speaking to him had departed, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were in constant attendance upon him. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So Cornelius wasn't even, at this point, a baptized believer in Christ yet. But he was seeking God with all of his heart. He was front sliding. And God speaks to him through a vision and an angel. I just want you to just kind of have that contrast in your mind for a moment. Which best describes your spiritual state right now? Are you more like the people... Uh, in the tended the temple in the days of Samuel, who really had slid backwards, or are you you know that, and you're not really hearing from God? Or are you more like Cornelius and you're seeking him with all your heart? Which would you say? Not want to show hands, just between you and God. Which would you say you are? Now again, to be backslidden means that at one time in your life you did front slide. 
You did front slide, but since then you backed off, maybe even way off. I want to give you three characteristics of someone who is backslidden, and you can kind of just evaluate yourself. Three characteristics. Number one, you no longer have an intimate relationship with the Lord. No longer do you feel close. No longer do you feel intimate. You feel distant. No longer do you spend time with him. If it happens, fine. If it doesn't, no big deal. That's number one. You no longer have an intimate relationship with the Lord. Number two, characteristic of being backslidden is you no longer hate sin like you used to. Perhaps you used to hate pornography, and now you can watch a movie that has a lot of it in there and doesn't even make you flinch. You used to hate dishonesty, but now it's okay to tell a little lie here and there, a fib, exaggeration. You used to hate profanity, but now it comes out of your mouth again. You had this period of time, but used to, and then you stopped, and but it's, it's back. Whatever it is, I mean, there, there was a sin you used to hate, but now you don't hate it so much. Third characteristic, whether that's your back children, is you no longer obey the Lord like you used to. There used to be a time when you'd open your Bible and read it, and you'd see something God said, and you'd just do it. Or a time you'd sit in church and hear a message, and you'd take the application of it, and you'd go do it. And now you kind of, yeah, you kind of are pick and choose what you will obey. You're the captain of your ship. It's, you'll decide. And in all honesty, you'd probably say, I've even come a little jaded, a little cynical. Now, those three characteristics, perhaps I've just described where some of you are today. Again, this is between you and the Lord. Some of you online, I just described where you are. So what does Jesus say to those who have backslidden? What does he say? Well, in Revelation chapter 3, he addresses a church that had backslidden, the church of Laodicea. And here's what he says to him. Revelation 3, verse 15, he says, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and I have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. The first thing I want you to notice in this passage is that Jesus says, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. So Jesus is going to base his judgment on these professing believers in Laodicea on the basis of their deeds. He's not going to base his judgment on the basis of their intentions. You know, deeds always reveal a person's true spiritual state, as indicated by the Lord. Remember in Matthew 7, he says, you will know them by their fruits. That's how you know somebody. You know them by their deeds. But the truth is, we, we all tend to judge ourselves by our intentions, but we judge other people by their deeds. But here, Jesus does not judge them by their intentions. He judges them and he judges us by our deeds. So it's important that we understand this. It doesn't matter that you intended to do something. The question is, what did you do? It doesn't matter that she said, I, I intended to stop that certain sinful behavior. I intended to, but did you? Or I intended to pray more. 
But did you pray more? See, it doesn't matter that you intended to spend more time. I intended to spend more time reading my Bible and listening to the Lord, but did you? What did you do? That's what matters. It doesn't matter if you intended to start coming to church faithfully. Say, well, starting 2020, I'm going to be faithful to come, faithful to be part of the community of Christ. But do you? Doesn't matter that she, I intend, I intended to be part of a small group. I'm going to get, I need community. I, I, I have nobody supporting me, nobody holding me accountable. I need to get involved in community. So I intend to do that, but do you do it? Doesn't matter if you intended to tithe. Many of you ended up last year saying, starting 2020, I'm going to start tithing. I intend to, but it doesn't matter if you intend to. Will you do it? Doesn't matter if you intend to start spending more time with your family. Say, so I got to, you know, I'm working way too many hours i got to clock back and be with my family. doesn't matter if you intend to. Do you do it? doesn't matter if you intend to share the gospel with your coworker or classmate. Will you do it? So intentions are not going to be the basis of the Lord's judgment. It's going to be our deeds. Jesus sees our deeds, and he will judge us based on our deeds. It's our deeds that define us. It's our actions that tell who we are. Now you say, wait a second, isn't salvation by grace through faith? And I say, absolutely. Absolutely our salvation is by grace through faith alone. But deeds confirm the presence of genuine faith. As James said in the book of James, faith without works is dead. So again, so just think about this now. We're doing some personal evaluation here. So based on your deeds, what you actually do, what do you think Jesus would say to you based on your deeds? Not your intentions, but your deeds. Well, Laodicea didn't have the right deeds, so that's, here's what the Lord says to him. I'll read it again, Revelation 3.15. I know your deeds, but you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you're wretched and miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So Jesus says that the church in Laodicea is lukewarm like its water supply was. They understood what he meant by that. That was their water supply. The time the water got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. We all know that we like things hot and we like things cold when we drink them. We like hot coffee. We like hot tea. We like hot chocolate. And we like, because, I mean, if we just like, we like things that are cold and refreshing. But when the coffee, when you set it down and you forget about it for 30 minutes and come back and you sip it and it's lukewarm, many of you have spit it back out, haven't you? You said, no, oh, that was lukewarm. I don't want lukewarm. Well, Jesus is saying that that's how he feels about lukewarmness in the people who bear his name. He's sickened, he's nauseated by half-hearted relationship to him. So those without zeal and passion for Christ are nauseating to him. The lukewarm, they don't burn with desire for God anymore, the lukewarm, they don't go hard after him in the secret place anymore. And the lukewarm kind of, they kind of just speak to God like through maybe the mail slot in the doorway, just send them messages every once in a while, but don't really have nearness to him. Well, Jesus' threat to the lukewarm church, this is, these are his words, 
and be careful that you don't do hermeneutical gymnastics to try to take the edge off these words. These are his words. He says he would spit them out of his mouth. So the question has to be in our minds. Each one of us needs to ask the question, am I lukewarm? Do I have any evidence of lukewarmness in my life right now? Now, before you answer that question, I want us to look at the passage and because Jesus makes it very clear what he means by that so we can discern our true state. Let's look back at Revelation 3.17 again. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. So the essence of lukewarmness is found in this statement, I don't need anything. So if you want to know whether or not your life has slipped into lukewarmness, look at your prayer life. Because when we don't think we need anything, we don't pray. So if you don't have this dependent, needy, hungry prayer life anymore, if that's gone, then, then you have slipped to some degree into lukewarmness. Because that is exhibit A for lukewarmness is found in your prayer life. So do you seek the Lord earnestly anymore or not? So if you're lukewarm, Jesus says he'll spit you out of his mouth. So how about a, whole, how about a church? Because he's talking to a church of Laodicea here. Can you, can you apply the same test to a whole church? Here's a question I would ask. If a church at one time had a corporate prayer ministry that was very passionate, that involved the majority of uh, the people in the church, if you had a prayer room, a house of prayer, like we did in, in 2004, we started our house of prayer across Martin High School in our worship center. We started our house of prayer in 2004. And I don't know how many of you guys were part of that, but I do know that when we started, after a year into it, we had 500 adults coming one hour a week, being willing to be inconvenienced one hour a week to come to the house of prayer. So if you have a certain level of passionate prayer and then that falls off, can you just fall off and you got people to say, yeah, I was in there, I was committed to that, but I'm not committed to it anymore. And would you say that that was a, a kind of a cooling off of, of a hot passion and it's become lukewarm. So if you have a grace house of prayer where you have hundreds and hundreds of people that no longer keep their commitments and no longer cry out to the Lord for the unreached, for the poor, for our own families, our own needs, then when you say there's some lukewarmness that's set in, in fairness, would you say that was a fair way to, to evaluate? Now, I realize right now it's kind of a hard time to... For us to think about this, we just came off the holidays. It's kind of this like spiritual lethargy that falls over the, the church and the holidays. I've seen it every year. Every year I see it. And our schedules are different. We're out of our routine, but we're back now. We're back. It's the end of January. And I'm calling us back as a church to the house of prayer. I'm calling all of us back. All of us. Be willing to be inconvenienced, because I know it's inconvenient to come to that room one hour a week when you live somewhere else, you work somewhere else. I know it's inconvenient. That's why I say it this way. Be willing to be inconvenienced one hour a week to come where all the prayer information is, the prayer aids are there. Come where you can even pray with some people. I'm calling all of us back 
to that. As part of our commitment in this fellowship is that we all own the prayer ministry. We don't just have a group of people in the corner praying. We all own it. Because I tell you, the level of prayer in a church is that corresponding level of Holy Spirit power in a church. I guarantee you. And if you've got a church talking about Holy Spirit power, Holy Spirit power, and there's not much prayer, I guarantee you it's hype. I don't care what country it's in. There's got to be Holy Spirit. I mean, there's got to be a level of prayer to match the Holy Spirit power, or it's, there's no substance to it. And so I'm calling all of us back to it. Some of you that were in it before and slipped, slipped away, I'm, I'm calling you back. You know, I'm not picking on you, not beating up on you. I'm just calling you back. I'm calling you, let's all get back to the prayer room. Now, we need a prayer life every day in our own, in our own schedules, but we all, I want everyone to also come one hour a week and say, we're here holding up this house of prayer because we have stuff going all over the world. We're in dangerous places in the world. We're in places where you can get hurt, get killed, get thrown out easily. And so and we, want, and we want to fulfill the Great Commission in those places, and we need to be, we got to pray for that. And we also, I tell you what, you come to this church, you got a bullseye on your back because this church is doing things in the community around the world. And, we, and if we're going to have a bullseye on our back, because with each new level, there's a new devil. I'll tell you, there's also abundant grace. And greater is he who's in us and he's in the world. We do not need to fear, but we do need to pray because this is a war. And we're all in it. You can't opt out. You can't opt out. Say, I think I live civilian life now. There's no opting out. We are in a war, all of us. And I'm calling all of us back to the jihad. All of us. And I urge you, let's have new, new prayer meetings. Start new prayer meetings. Initiate them yourself. Get a prayer partner. Get a prayer group. Pray for your ministry. Bring it over to the jihad. So if we find ourselves to be lukewarm, what do we do to remedy this situation? Let's go back to Revelation 3, 18. Jesus says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness may, will not be revealed and eye salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, therefore be zealous and Repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. So Christ's appeal is played on these three features of the city of Laodicea, what they were known for. They were known for their wealth, for their wool industry, and for their production of eye salve. What Christ says is, I will give you spiritual gold, I'll give you spiritual clothes, and I'll give you spiritual sight. I'll give you something a lot better than what you got. So stop trusting in yourselves. That's what he's saying to them. Stop trusting yourselves, which is evidenced in your lack of prayer and dependence on me, and invite him in. He says, son, invite me in. Invite me in. Fellowship with me. So repentance here involves not just being sorry for lukewarmness, and repenting, you know, asking for forgiveness for that. That's part of it. That's not all of it. It's the decision now to invite Jesus back in. Spend time with him. Walk with him. And by the way, this, this series is about the ultimate goal in spiritual maturity really is a conversation relationship with the Lord. It's not just that you have a 20-minute quiet time. Though that is really, really powerful and important. The goal is, maturity goal is that we all develop a conversation relationship with the Lord. That we learn to listen to him, depend on him. 
So let me just ask you, so are you lukewarm or do you need to repent? So and we'll finish the service with an opportunity to, to do that. But I want you to know that it's, 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 it's a repenting. Lord, I'm sorry I let that happen. Forgive me of my sin. But now, Lord, I am turning back to you, swinging the door open, and I'm, I'm going to draw near to you in fellowship and walk with you in communion and intimacy. So Jesus is standing at the door, and he's knocking, which is really interesting because he's the one who's eager for this. He's the one who wants this. Some of you are thinking, I want so much to be close to the Lord. He wants it 10 zillion times more than you do. He stands at the door, and he knocks. The question is, will we make time for him? And invite him in. So this letter, this letter Christ gives a pretty hard rebuke. He does. But he also gives an amazing promise. Here's a promise, Revelation 3.21. He overcomes. I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So those who overcome what? Those who overcome their lukewarmness receive a great reward. First, we get his presence now, but the great reward is that also we will rule with him in the future. We'll reign with him. Revelation 5.10, you have been made, you have made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Revelation 26, blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, a second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. That's the millennial kingdom, but then there is the New heavens and new earth, Revelation 22.5, and there will no longer be any night. And they will not have need of the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. I mean, what an amazing adventure is in store for all of us. You know, we overcome our lukewarmness. We gain compassion for Christ. We walk with him now and we reign with him forever and ever. Whatever you can imagine that to be, it's far better than you can imagine. So what will we do? What will you do? Will you overcome any complacency? Will you see the urgency of overcoming any apathy, any lukewarmness? Will you repent? Will you make fellowship with Christ a priority? So the key to overcoming lukewarm Christianity, the key to it really is communing, communing with Christ. And part of communing with Christ is communicating with Christ. You know, so we have this, the next three weeks I'll tell you what this, how this series on hearing the voice of God will go. Next week we'll talk about New Testament prophecy, how it works. And then in two weeks we'll talk about dreams and visions, what the Bible says about that and what we should, and that for us to know, how do we know whether or not a dream is from God or not? Then I think we're going to take a week and talk about marriage, the week of Valentine's Day. But also, then we're going to have the last one. The last one in the series is how to walk in a conversation relationship with the Lord. Because that is the goal. That's the goal of matur maturity. Maturity is not just that I get a word from the Lord every once in a while. Maturity is that we have this conversational relationship with God. That's where we want it to go. Amen. And that is where, you know, you know, that's where the passion comes from. That's where the zeal comes from. We have this conversational relationship with the Lord. So number one, number, th number, number one thing we need to do is repent from any spiritual lukewarmness and fully seek the Lord. We've got to start here. We've got to make sure that we are the vessels tuned in. That's key. If I just give you all the steps to do this and you're not tuned in spiritually, it's not going to work. So we can't have any lukewarmness in us. That's number one. Number two, number two is be willing 
to obey him even before you hear him. John 7, 17. If any man is willing to do his will, he shall know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. So Jesus says this. Jesus says, if any man is willing to do his will, that is saying, I am willing to do what you say before you say it. Then he shall know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. The one who's willing to do the will of God is the one who will be able to discern what is from God and what is not from God. In the realm of revelation, there must be a willingness on the onset here to do the will of God if we expect revelation from God. I mean, why should God give us revelation if he knows we're not going to do it? So there's got to be a yes in our heart. There's got to be a yes. Yes, Lord, whatever you say, I'll do it if we want to hear his voice. And by the way, so you respond, if we respond to that little bit of light with a yes, we get more light. And we get more light. We receive greater and greater revelation. We're entrusted with more of it. Back to the story of Cornelius. After Cornelius received, you know, Cornelius only had so much light. He was a Gentile. He, he had the light of revelation. Things, everything, the, all creation screams to the existence of God. He's a God seeker. He, he knew of the Jewish people. He gave money to them. He probably knew a lot of truth from them. But he was doing all he could do with the light he had to know God. And what does God do? God sends an angel to him to tell him what? To go get Peter. What's Peter need to do? Peter needs to show up and preach the gospel to him. So there's greater light. Take that little light. With a yes, God gives you greater and greater light. That's how it works. So we must be willing to obey on, at the, the beginning. So that's a big part of what we want to do in our ministry time. Is, is there a yes in your heart? If you, can you, are you, do you say yes to Jesus? I mean, you know, a blank check, sign it, here it is, spend it, God, any way you want. My life right here. Or do you like, well, I don't know, Lord, let me, get, tell me what you're going to say, and I'll just evaluate whether or not I'm up for this or not. Whether or not I want to do, I'll pick and choose. We've got to have a yes. All right, the third and last thing we've got to have, if we're going to be tuned in, we have to walk it in humility. It's interesting, even the songs that Larry chose today, he didn't know what I was going to speak about. The devotion Brian just gave about humility, he didn't know what I was going to speak about. You think God wants to speak something to us today? Got to walk in humility. Those who received great revelation in the Bible were the humblest people who ever walked the face of the earth. And it seems that the greater the revelation that was received, the greater the humility they possessed and needed to possess. Take Moses, for example. Let's just read this story real quick. Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said to him, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and Miriam, you three come out to the tent of meeting. That's worse than being called to the principal's office right there. <laughs> you three come out to the tent of meeting. So the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. When they both came forward, he said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, 
I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly, and not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? Well, Moses received greater revelation than anyone in the Old Testament. And the reason he did is because I, I think because of verse 3, he was the humblest man on the face of the earth. That's a really important characteristic quality. Why? Because, of God, because with a revelation comes power and authority that's so, so easy to misuse and so easy to take glory for yourself. Another example, King David, man after God's own heart. David received great revelation from God. Many of your favorite psalms, in the Bible, written by David on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that after God anoints David king, he leaves him out in the wilderness for 10 to 20 years? So David will become broken and humble and be able to handle the revelation he's receiving. God left Moses out in the wilderness for 40 years before he was ready for that assignment. What about other prophets? Well, it's interesting, too. Brian referenced to this verse, Isaiah 66, verse, verse 2. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble, contrite of spirit, who trembles at my word. How about John the Baptist? Do you know John the Baptist was a prophet? In fact, here's what Jesus says about John the Baptist, Luke 7, 7 26. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and one who is more than a prophet. So John the Baptist was not just a prophet. He's more than a prophet. See, he's receiving great revelation from God. What marked his life? John 1, 19. Let's read the story. And this is the witness of John. When the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, and he confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. They said to him, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I'm a voice. Kind of like big deal. I'm a voice. A voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. As Isaiah the prophet said, now they had been sent by the Pharisees. And they asked him and said, why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered, saying, I baptize with water. But among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. What is interesting about this story is John never even told them his name. Who are you? What do you have to say about yourself? Yourself. Never told him his name. Because John knew it wasn't about him. He came to bear witness to the light. He was not the light. And he knew that. God loves to speak to the humble because he can trust his glory to the humble. What about New Testament apostles Peter and John? You remember after Peter and John healed the lame man and a whole crowd is gathering? And they're running after him and they think Peter and John are something special? 
And let's just read the story. Acts 3, verse 11. And while he was clinging to Peter and John, they healed the lame man. All the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. And Peter saw this. He replied to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? And why do you gaze at us? As if by our own power or piety, we made them walk. Got it all wrong. Verse 16, on the basis of faith in his name, and then it's in the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, and the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. This amazing humility right there, wouldn't you say? I mean, they are so quick to deflect. Peter rose at Pentecost. He preaches this amazing sermon. Peter receives great revelation from the Lord. Apostle John received greater revelation than anybody in the New Testament. And so these are humble men that God spoke to. What about the Apostle Paul? Remember the Apostle Paul, he, he says of himself that he, first he says of himself, I'm least of the apostles. And then if you get the chronology right, after that he says, I'm least of the saints. Then after that he says, I'm the greatest of sinners. And, you know, humility is so important to God. If we want to, walk, if we want to be those who hear his voice, and I, I think Brian got up here and shared what just taking a walk this morning. That was, I, I confirmed that was a, the Lord was speaking to him this morning. That was a word from the Lord, confirming this word from the Lord to us. How important humility is if we're going to walk in greater nearness to the Lord, hear his voice, and also be trusted with power. Because with revelation always comes greater authority and power. And authority and power are so easily misused for personal gain. We see it all the time. And it's, it's also authority and power is so easily misused to abuse people. So many shepherds have beat up so many sheep. To whom God entrusts revelation, they must be humble. Their ambitious desires for prominence and power must be diminished. Then God can trust them with authority and power. You know, we think about, I want... I want God to know I trust him. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's great. God needs to know you trust him, but also God needs to know if he can trust you. Trust you not to steal his glory, not to mistreat his sheep. So, again, let me just summarize. How do we tune in? We tune in. We've got to make sure, number one, that we repent from any spiritual lukewarmness and we fully seek the Lord. Just go after him. And part of that is where I'm calling all this back to the house of prayer. Number two, be willing to obey him even before you hear him. Say, Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to do whatever you say. And number three, walk in humility. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you and use you. Let's stand as we close. I'll invite the worship team up here. You know, I don't want this to be an academic exercise in hearing the voice of God. I don't want us to just know six points, four points, understand a passage. I want us to all come out of this, being able to hear the voice of God better. And I realize if we don't get these things that we're talking about today right, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It'll be, an, it'll be an exercise and futility, and, and, and we'll just go on to the next series. But I, I think it's your heart. It's my heart. We all want to hear him better. None of us are hearing God as good as we can. All of us can tune in a little bit sharper. All of us. And so we're going to close this ministry time in the service with this song that we've sung here before. The song is simply, I Surrender. 
I surrender. And during a song, this is just consider this whole front of this worship center a, an altar. And as you can come do business with God, you can come kneel or stand and just say, Lord, and if there's any lukewarm, just come and repent. And as you're up here repenting, also saying, Jesus, I'm just inviting you back in. I'm going to walk close with you. Also, you might, this might be a time to repent and say, Lord, I'm not going to pick and choose anymore what I'm going to obey. It's, there's a yes right here. You just speak, I'll do it. And also down here, I'm repenting from any pride. And I just want to, I want to be the, I want to live for an audience of just one, just one. So if that's you and in those categories or all those categories, during this song, just come and let's just do business with the Lord so we can really walk closer with him and all hear his voice better and be tuned in. Let's pray. Father, you know where all of us are, and, and Lord, we want to be a, a church that is not lukewarm. We want, to be, we want to be saints that are not lukewarm. Lord, we want to be those who are hot for you, white, hot passion for Christ. And Lord, we want to be those who hear your voice, and you, know, you can trust with revelation. So even now, Lord, even now we come to you. Jesus, you said, if, you know, if, if just repent, repent turn to you and invite you back in. And that's what we're doing right now. In Jesus' name. Here I am Down on my knees Again Surrendering all Surrendering all Find me Lord as you draw Desperate for you, desperate for you, I surrender, oh, surrender to
Lord Jesus, we surrender. All that we are, we just reach down inside ourselves. Everything that we are, everything we have, Lord, we just surrender to you. And we tell you we want you more than anything. More than anything, Lord. We ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit fresh upon us, Lord. Draw us closer and closer to you. And tune us in, Lord. Grow us up, all of us. And Lord, our prayer is that you would use us in any way that you want that brings you the most glory, whatever it is, Lord. So Lord, this week we just pray that you'd use us, Lord, as the light that shines the light of Christ in dark places everywhere we go. And that we just walk with you and talk with you all week long. And Lord, we just pray that we'd be able to make a difference in all the lives that we touch this week. And pray this in Jesus' name. Before we dismiss, I do want to remind you we have Connection Coffee in this corner here. You can ask questions to our staff. We also have a Welcome Center here. If this is your first Sunday, I'd love to meet you. And there will be some leaders down front, leader couples that will pray for you if you have any other prayer requests. God bless you. You're dismissed. Have a great day and a great week.